ever. I thought she did an amazing job. She did, she did do a shameless plug for her new small group, but that's okay. We, we appreciate that. Um, I don't know about you. Um, I, I'm sort of like getting a little bit over COVID, like a little bit over lockdown. I know some of you, like you were over this, if you like Lloyd, the day it started. Um, but I'm in this weird place, and maybe you are too, where on one hand, I'm like really uh, over it. I'm tired of wearing a mask and sweating around my mustache area, which wasn't something I was accustomed to a year ago. Um, and, and then on the other hand, I'm conscious of uh, my family in the UK, who have literally just gone down back into a full lockdown uh, friends of mine have just planted a church in Portugal uh, at, in February. That's when they went there. And they were meant to have their first in-person meeting uh, next Sunday, and then they've gone back into another lockdown. So I'm conscious of this. Like on one hand, it seems like it's getting worse. And then on the other hand, Cyril has said we can buy booze on the weekend. And it feels like we've made it through the wilderness. Like we have faced the most challenging and difficult time, and we've got through. We can buy booze on the weekend. It's like this, this weird juxtaposition. And then at the same time, we're getting towards the end of a year, 2020. I don't know if you know that. We're in November. Yeah. And at, usually at this time of the year, we start thinking to ourselves, like, what have I done with my year? Like, what have I done with, with 2020? And, and did, I, did I resolve all the New Year's resolutions that I set out to achieve? And the answer usually is no, because New Year's resolutions. But maybe more so this year, uh, more than ever before. And so we're sitting with this, like, uh, the, the turmoil of our world, and then we're coming towards the end of the year. And so I ask myself this question, how do we make the most out of lockdown? How do we make the most out of lockdown? Now, before we get to that question, I want to share an interview that I did this morning in our morning services. And uh, Debs, who's got an amazing family who she's with tonight, I interviewed Debs. She's part of our counseling ministry here at Grace. And I wanted to just share an amazing story that's come out of lockdown for us as a community. Because in the midst of all the chaos that's gone on in the world around us, I've loved watching social media videos of a whole bunch of like Italian grannies in a courtyard dancing together as someone plays uh, for them. I've loved watching those sweet little videos of the drive-by birthday parties. And I did, a, I did a drive-in wedding where people were in cars and then we did the wedding. It was so weird. <laughs> and I've ticked that off the bucket list. I don't know if that's like on a pastor's bucket list to do a drive-in wedding, but I've done one. So in the midst of all of this, man, God has done some beautiful things in our world, and I want to share one of those stories with you. So check out this interview I did this morning with Debs. Yeah. And so this is uh, Debs Mungavin. If you haven't met her before, uh, she consistently wins the prize for the most brightly dressed here at Grace. Well done, Debs. It's incredible. I didn't disappoint today, uh, that's, did I? that's literally like the one thing she's, no, she's got a lot of things, but dressing brightly. Well done, Debs. Uh, but she does head up our counseling ministry here at Grace, which is just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing that we get to be a part of as a community. And as we headed into uh, lockdown, you were quite aware of just the overwhelming need in our, in our world. And I think for, for people to have counseling, for people to just know there was someone to, to care for them. But I think one of the areas that, that really st uh, stood out to you was, was healthcare workers. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about how you got to that place and, and how sort of this idea of caring for healthcare workers came about? Yeah, sure, Paul. It was about, I think it was early on in the early days, like 24th, 25th of March, I got this message from a member of, um, actually from a pastor's wife of a church in Belito, saying, could Grace Counseling possibly help one of the members of their congregation who was a senior um, manager of staff at a hospital in Durban was taking serious strain, as was her entire team at the hospital. Just at the thought of what was to come in terms of managing this COVID pandemic as a healthcare worker. And I just I prayed, Lord, how, how can we help? We, Grace Counseling wasn't online at that stage. 
Um, so I put a call out to the South African psychologist community on Facebook and was absolutely overwhelmed by the response. We had about 170 psychologists offering pro bono support for healthcare workers sure. throughout South Africa. It was incredible. So I emailed Tom and, and um, Wayne and I said, is Grace Family Church up for taking on an initiative of this kind? And they were like, go for it. So uh, my colleague Lou Harmon and I, yeah, just went with this initiative of, of helping healthcare workers around the country. And as um, through that, we, we brought together psychologists from all over on a load of Zoom meetings as we upskilled them to be able to deal um, with what they were going to face in terms of helping healthcare workers. So we had upskill sessions on grief and on personal resilience and on the emotional impact of COVID on healthcare workers from around the world. It was just the most amazing pulling together of community and helping it is, others. It is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, just to think that that's healthcare workers from around our, our nation and psychologists, trained professionals from around our country gathering together to respond to this need. And Debs is quite uh, humble about this, but she's played such a significant role in pulling this all together and serving our, our country in such a beautiful way. So I think well done to Debs for that. Um, Thanks, Paul. I've been so aware just of, of like sort of two groups that have faced incredible challenge during this. Um, you know, obviously the healthcare workers, I think of doctors who've had to wear ridiculous outfits while they just check if a patient has the flu, um, and, and teachers who just are also in just a real challenge. What did it look like to care for the healthcare workers? What, what, what did our response look like to that? Um, how, how did we care for COVID carers? How did we care for COVID carers? So, we cared for them if wherever they were in the country, they could send us an email and we would connect them with a psychologist and they could have online counseling. Or in some cases where technology was a problem, we would go into hospitals and do um, debriefing sessions with nurses and, um, and staff. Yeah. And what was the so, kind of impact that you saw as a result of that? Like, what was people's response to it? Uh, how did you see it impact people around? Yeah, I think that people were just so grateful to have a safe space to air their anxieties and their concerns and what they were going through. Yeah. So I think that was amazing. And I think that even um, not, not only the healthcare workers benefited, but also the people that were giving. Like I got an email um, this past week from a psychologist who said the highlight of her lockdown year was being a part of the Care for COVID carer community. And um, for all that she gained from being of service yeah. within the community, which was just amazing. So being of service is a beautiful thing. And for you, like personally, I think, you know, whenever we're in these environments, we, uh, we see it having an impact on other people. How did, how did it impact you personally? Sure. Well, I think for, for, like for many of us, lockdown, I found pretty lockdown. I found lockdown pretty hard. I mean, it was tough. Um, homeschooling three children, my husband and I working in the same like workspace, we all can identify. So there were times where I won't lie, I felt very sorry for myself. <laughs> but I think the whole working with the Care for COVID Care campaign gave me perspective. Because each time I felt, woe is me, I'd think of healthcare workers and just get fresh perspective and gratitude for what I, where I was and what I did have. And then I think also it gave me a sense of purpose and I think that when we are pressing into God's purpose and calling for our lives, uh, life is an exciting adventure that nothing else can match. Yeah. So just that sense of purpose. And then finally, I would say, oh, it, just, it just renewed hope in humanity. Yeah. Um, and just to see how God can take such tragedy 
and bring triumph into um, a situation like we were experiencing was, was amazing and faith-building. Yeah, well, Debs, well done. Thank you so much for all that you do for our community and all that you've done for the healthcare community of our land. We honor you. Thank you for all your efforts. And isn't it just good to hear a good story out of all of this? Thank you, Debs. Well Thanks. done. Thanks, Paul. Like I said, I think it's just good sometimes to be reminded of some of the good that can, can come out of lockdown. But I want to go back to that question that I asked earlier, and it's a question for you. How do you make the most out of lockdown? How do you make the most of, out of what we've been through? Because I, I really do believe there is an invitation for every single one of you here this evening to, to, to look at 2020 and to grow. Despite everything, despite what it meant, despite what it looked like for you, there is an invitation to grow because of what you've gone through. And I think that if we're going to do that, the reality is if we want to grow from the experiences that we have, we have to reflect on the experiences that we have. And so I want to create a bit of space tonight, a, a bit of space for us to reflect. What has 2020 meant to us and how can we make the most out of it? What may God have been teaching us in this season? At the same time, as much as we grow in reflection, we also grow in preparation. As we prepare for what 2021 is going to hold, whether it's going to hold a Pfizer vaccine or a Russian vaccine, not sure which is like more dangerous, yeah? Whether it's going to hold another lockdown for us, whether it's going to hold a whole other set of challenges, Part of what's important to do as, as people and as followers of Jesus is to prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls for what may lay ahead. Now, I get as I've been speaking about lockdown and COVID that you're sitting here, maybe you are sitting here tonight saying, hey, Paul, that's, that's awesome that, that you think lockdown's a challenge, but you don't know what I'm facing. Maybe for you, the greatest challenge that you're facing is not lockdown, is not COVID. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is that you've gone through, there's an opportunity to reflect and grow. And whatever it is you're going to go through, there's an opportunity to prepare so that you can grow as a result of it. And in order to do that, I want to look at Romans chapter 5. It's a passage of Scripture that has been so incredibly meaningful and helpful to me. It's helped me grow and reflect on the experiences that I've been through. It's helped me prepare for what's laying ahead. And I want to look at it. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. Romans chapter 5. If you have a cell phone, you are welcome to click there. And if you don't have either of those things, it's going to be on your screen. Uh, but Roman chap Romans chapter 5 is broken up into three interesting sections at the start. There's, there's sort of verses 1 and 2, which actually is the summary. Then there's verses 3 to 5, which is sort of Paul unpacking the summary. And then there's verses 6 to 11, which is Paul unpacking the summary of the summary that he's already written. And so we want to read this, this letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, verses 3 to 5. We can rejoice too, Paul says, and that too is there because of what's happened in verses 1 and 2, and we'll get back to that in just a moment. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead, us to, will not lead you to disappointment. For we know how dearly God has loved us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. In order to unpack that, in order to help us grow in reflection and grow in preparation, I want to break it down sort of line by line, verse by verse, and just ask the questions of what it's saying to us. It starts by saying, Paul starts by saying, we can rejoice too. And like I've said, he's following on from something, but we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. But this is a big statement. This is a big statement for us to be able to say that we can rejoice too when we face problems and trials. It's not something that Paul says lightly. It's something that Paul says into the context of all that he had been through, knowing all that he would go through. He says, no, you, you too can rejoice. 
But in order for us to do this, in order for you and I to rejoice, we have to make an intentional decision to rejoice in the midst of our trials and challenges. This is not something that comes automatically to us as humans, nor is it something that comes automatically to us as Christ followers. As we head into a difficult situation, we don't often go, yippee. We usually go, why me? Isn't that true? And so in order for us to say we're going to rejoice in the midst of this, we have to make an intentional decision to do that. And if we're going to make an intentional decision to rejoice, we have to be able to make that decision on some firm ground. We have to be able to have a solid foundation to make that decision upon others we're simply mad. And, and Paul gives us the foundation, and again, we'll get back to that in just a moment. So what are the problems and trials that Paul is speaking of here? In other translations, other translations would have these problems and trials translated as suffering of any kind. And that's so important to hear. Suffering of any kind. One of the things that ha that's happened uh, through lockdown is people have faced suffering on different levels. We've all been in the same storm but different boats. But I want to say to you tonight, what, what has been challenging and difficult for you is challenging and difficult for you. What is pain and, and, and difficulty for you is you. There is no scale to pain. And we often do this in our world. We often say, well, theirs is worse than mine. No, if you're battling with something, if you're facing a challenge of some kind and it's difficult, it's difficult. There is no scale to this thing. But ultimately what happens when we face this kind of uh, trial, when we face this kind of challenge, when we face some kind of problem or pain, ultimately what happens is that our faith is put to the test. Our faith is put to the test. Does what we believe about who God is and what God is like hold weight in the midst of what we're facing? I believe that God is someone who provides, but I'm getting an empty paycheck. I believe that God is someone who's able to heal, but I've got a diagnosis. I believe that God is able to restore, but I'm facing a divorce. When we face problems and trials of any kind, ultimately what happens is our faith is tested. Does what we believe about God hold weight into the midst of all that we're facing? And I think for some people, and maybe even you here tonight, one of the reasons why you have doubted your faith, one of the reasons why you've questioned your faith, or maybe even walked away, and you're kind of here because you've been dragged, or you're kind of here because you're holding on to something, one of the reasons why we doubt and one of the reasons why we walk away is because of what we experience. It's because of what we go through. It's because of what we face, the challenges. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you know someone who's done the same. Maybe you know someone who's faced incredible difficulty and as a result, they've walked away. What we know from research is actually that, that uh, sort of there's five key things that turn people away from following Jesus or, or make people question the, the reality of God. And one of those things, one of the most significant things in our world that, that, that turns people away from being uh, followers of Jesus and people of faith is the existence of suffering. They, they look at, at the world that's going on around them. They look at maybe what's happened in their own life and they say, I, I can't equate the two. And what's interesting, actually, is that that, that same challenge was the challenge of the early, uh, was the challenge of the, the Jews of Jesus' day. One of the reasons, one of the primary reasons uh, amongst a whole bunch of, but one of the major reasons why the Jews of Jesus' day denied Jesus as Messiah, as the one who would come to save, as the one who would come to redeem, as the one who would come to restore, one of the reasons why they rejected him and subsequently they rejected the followers of Jesus was because they looked at, at Jesus and they looked at the followers of Jesus and they, and they said to themselves, they're not victorious. The Messiah should bring about a sense of victory. The, the Messiah should bring about, bring about a sense of, of overcoming all things and yet they looked at Jesus on the cross and they looked the at, at the followers of Jesus who went through incredible hardship and they said, that's not the Messiah. Can't be. Because we should be victorious and yet they faced incredible suffering. But I want you to hear this. 
that the foundation of our faith is not a world without suffering. The foundation of our faith is not a world without suffering. And I love the way Andy Stanley says it. He says it like this. Pain and suffering don't disprove the existence of God. They simply disprove the existence of a God who would not create pain and suffering, or who would not allow pain and suffering. They, they don't disprove the existence of God. They simply disprove the existence of a God who doesn't allow pain and suffering. And our God has said to you and me that there will be hardship, that there will be suffering, there will be pain until, until he makes all things new. Pick up your cross. That's not an invitation to an easy life. That's a challenging call to you and me. It's part of the journey. And one of the most beautiful things about our faith, one of the most powerful things about our faith and about our God is that our God has the unbelievable ability to take the very worst of our circumstances and do something good with them. The very worst of what you face and make something beautiful. And I can only share that with you this evening because of some sense of personal experience around that. Uh, when, when, when I was a young whippersnapper many, many years ago, we used to, not that long ago, Lizzie, not that long ago, uh, we, when, uh, we were, uh, I grew up in Joburg, was born in Joburg for my sins, and uh, God redeemed me by bringing me down to KZN. And uh, we moved here when I was about nine years old, and my dad was still up in Joburg, and he was commuting between the two uh, and while he was finishing off a project there. And then one evening, uh, two guys broke into our house uh, in Joburg and killed my dad at 10 years old. And I, I, I remember a bunch of emotions and a bunch of feelings I think as I was sort of like 10, 11, and 12, the primary sort of thoughts that I had were, who am I going to go fishing with? Like, who's going to take me camping, you know? And as I grew up, I started to realize that sort of the consequence of, of that for us and for our family and for our lives, for me as a young boy without a dad, not there to watch me play sport, for us as a family as we faced incredible financial challenge and a sense of just being like lost in the world in some ways. But slowly and but surely over the years, as I came to know God, as our family came to know God in a, in a new way, I, I began to see that, that God always does something beautiful in the midst of our pain. That God slowly but surely started to redeem my perception of Father. So, so often people say, you know, God's Father, and maybe that's difficult for you to hear because your Father hasn't been a beautiful image for you. Maybe for, like me, it, it simply was, I just had no like, equivalency to that. Someone said, well, God is your Father. I was like, I don't know what that looks like. But what I, what I came to see is that in the midst of all of that, God started to do an incredible thing in my heart and my life. As he taught me what it meant to be loved by a father, to be encouraged by a father, to be supported and provided for by a father, to be disciplined, importantly, thankfully, by a loving father in heaven. And God started to do this work in my life and, and sort of it led me to a place of just a renewed sense of, of, of hope in my life and our family. And, uh, and then after school, uh, that was sort of like sort of 10 through to, I suppose yeah, I was 16 through to 18. And then after school, I took a gap year because I was a millennial and um, like lost. And so I did this gap year and we, we spoke at schools around the country. And uh, we were going to one school up in uh, Nelspreet and we were heading there. It was kind of mid-year. And the guy who was leading our gap year, Rod, he came up to me and said, Paul, I want you to share that story. I want you to share the story of what you've gone through, the loss of your dad, and what God has done to restore you. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not sharing my story. It's my story. You don't, you don't understand. It's, it's my story. It's my pain. And he said, I want you to share it. I want you to pray about it. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, I just realized this was something I needed to share. So I went there, and I was speaking to all the grade 10 classes and all the grade 11 classes. I mean, let's say all. It was a very small school. There were like three and three. So I was speaking to all six classes. 
felt like a lot at the time, but I was speaking to them. I stood up and I shared my story. And in every single one of those classes, in every single one, there were at least three young people who'd lost their dad either that year or the year before. In every class, as I got to share the story about how God will, will take the very worst of our lives and do something beautiful with it. I got to share the story about how our God, who is a father, loves us. And in the midst of what they were going through, I was able to encourage them. What I know is this, that, that in the midst of what you're going through, God can repurpose your pain. He can take what you've gone through and give it something beautiful, something new. I, I don't believe God planned for this, but I do believe he does something with it. And what we each need to come to see and to understand, what we each need to come to hold on to, is that the decision to rejoice in our problems, the decision to boast in our suffering, is in fact a decision to trust in the theology of the cross. Our decision to say, God, in the very midst of what I'm going through, I'm going to choose to rejoice, is a decision to say, Jesus, what you did on the cross is real. What you modeled for us on the cross, you mold into our lives because of the cross. That the way, to, the way to healing is through stripes. The way to restoration is through death, death. The way to glory is through suffering. Jesus modeled that for us on the cross. And then what he does is he works that into our lives. He works that into our hearts. We must come to see that suffering is part of the Christian vocation. It's not a super cheery message, but it's true. It's part of the Christian vocation. It's part of how God's glory is brought into our world within us and through us. We can, we can rejoice. Paul carries on. For we know that they help us. We can, we can rejoice in our suffering. We can rejoice in our pain and our challenges because we know they, they help us develop endurance. Other, other translations have the word endurance as patience or patient endurance. We can rejoice in our problems and trials because we know they develop. And to develop something is to work within us, to work deeply within us. It's to transform us. That's what it means to develop. God is taking you on a journey, whatever you're going through. And in 2020, God is taking all of us on a journey of transformation. But in order to go on that journey of going from pain to, to enduring, we, we, we have to endure. In order to go to the place of hope and restoration, we have to endure. And endurance is tough. It's not easy. And so I just want to share two things with you tonight that I think can help you develop endurance in your life, develop patience in your life, and they simply are this, develop endurance through partnership. I'm so deeply convicted on this reality that life is simply done best in the context of community. Not just the community that will meet after you've gone to Tops on a Saturday and bry at your house, not just, oh, that, that community is awesome. I'm talking about a community of, of people who get around you in faith and pray for you. A community of people who get around you in your life and encourage you and call you to a better way. A group of people who say to you, in the midst of what you're facing, God's on your side. They'll remind you of that beautiful truth. Life is done best when we have people around us. As we headed into lockdown with our two little ones, as Pippa and I were working, we realized that we needed all the help we could possibly get mainly patience and mainly just encouragement and support. So we started a one-hour connect group, a little group of people who gathered together on a Monday night and we parented little ones in lockdown. And that was our group. We met together for just a short season. But what happened was we got with these people around these people on Zoom and it was awkward. You're on mute. You're still on mute. You're crying and you're still on mute. This is getting awkward now. Like it was all of those things, but it was beautiful. Because as we shared what was going on in our homes, they encouraged us. As, as they shared what was going on in their homes, we encouraged them. As, as they shared ideas of how they balanced work and life, how they balanced um, discipline, 
<laughs> during lockdown? Because how do you punish your kids? Like TV is the one thing that you can hold on to. Like in, how do you take that away? But they gave us ideas and they gave us courage and they gave us strength. Can I just say to you tonight, one of the most important ways that you're gonna develop endurance in your life to get through whatever you're gonna face is when you've got partnership. When you've got people around you cheering you on. Rows are awesome. Circles are better. This is great. But life is done best when you're around a table. Life is done best when you're running on a Monday night on, on, the, on the promenade. That's a shameless. Now, you got two plugs tonight, Kayla. That's too much. But life is done best when we gather with people and they support us and encourage us. Maybe you need to join a group here at Grace. Download the app. There's another plug. Like this is like a, one of those like paid advert moments, right? Like I feel like I'm a YouTube um, uh, vlogger saying, here's an advert. Click on the banner. Um, but, but really, I, I do want to encourage you. Join a group. Download the app. Join a group. And maybe start a group. That's literally what Kayla did. She was like, I want to start running and I want to get people to, to join me. Start a group. Maybe you like birding, which is a thing apparently. But maybe start a birding group. I don't know. You develop your endurance through partnership, but you also develop endurance through purpose. Through purpose. Uh, Trav Gale, who's a phenomenal uh, man in our city, has done some incredible things. He came and shared a story with us on Tuesday at our staff meeting. And when he was 17 years old, he made the uh, unwise decision to ride his bicycle around the world. Yeah, around the world. And uh, they wanted to do that to raise funds. Uh, and at that time, sort of was, it was the real like wrath of the HIV AIDS pandemic in South Africa. And so they wanted to raise money for young people who were facing those challenges and for a particular uh, community, a particular orphanage. And so they decided to ride around the world. And uh, they left on their trip from Joburg on the sort of, I think it was the 1st or 2nd of Jan. First day was awesome, second day was awesome, third day was great, fourth day was amazing, fifth day they started riding from Bloemfontein to Tromsberg, which is actually a place in our country. I don't know where it is, but I know that it's 110 kilometers from where they started. And so on this 110 kilometers ride, as they started to ride at about 11 o'clock in the morning, in the middle, I think, of the Karoo, the temperature was about 42 degrees, and they were riding. And then the headwinds started to come, and then they were riding but not moving. Some of you have been there before. That's me when I go on the promenade sometimes. Like, it's just that feeling of like, well, I'm, not go I'm not getting anywhere. And eventually what happened is there was quite a big gap between him and the partner that he was riding with the guy. So good friend, he just left him. And eventually Trav just got off his bike and said, I can't do this. And so he got off his bike and sitting on the side of the road, realized that if he wanted a place to sleep, he needed to get to Tromsberg. And so he got back on his bike, rode through to Tromsberg, which is just, I love saying that name. It's such a cool place. And, uh, and he got there. And that night they stayed at this sort of like beautiful Karoo farmhouse. You can kind of picture it with the big stoop out front, can't you? And they were staying at the house of an Inkhekak uh, uh, pastor. And that night they sat on, uh, on the stoop under the stars, and the pastor simply said to the Duomini, rather, rather said, he said to them, why are you here on my stoop in Tromsberg? And Travis' initial answer was just to go to sleep, to be honest with you. But he said, why are you here? And Travis was able to then recall the purpose to their riding. No, we're here because we want to raise money. We, we're here because we want to make a difference with our lives. We're here because we feel like God's calling us on an incredible adventure. Travis says that the next morning, it was hotter and the wind was stronger, but they rode through. Why? Because he had a renewed sense of purpose. When you have a purpose in your life, it gives you the strength to endure. But here's what I know about you. And maybe you, you, you think, Paul, you don't know me that well. I know this about you. That, that, that you cannot find a purpose that's worth enduring if you're the end goal. You cannot find a purpose that's worth getting through the very challenges of life if you're the end goal, if I'm the end goal of that thing, whatever it is. 
we, we have to be able to see that, that the purpose for, for our lives is something bigger than ourselves. And when we get a hold of that, when we get a hold of the sense that God is inviting every single one of you to join his mission to bring healing and hope to our world, and we get a hold of what God's asking us to do in that, that's the kind of purpose that allows us to endure. Now, some, for some of you, honestly, that purpose that's bigger than yourself is holding your family together. What a significant purpose that is. For some of you, that purpose is, is, is simply making a business that's going to survive and do something for others. Maybe it's, it's in, in, in some other way, but what are you serving towards? What are you giving your life towards? And I know sometimes in the midst of your challenges, it feels like, man, that's a big call. You're asking me in the midst of the suffering to serve something else. Maybe it's not in the midst of it. Maybe it's years later that you reflect on it. But, but use what you go through in the midst of it, at the end of it, to serve something greater than yourself. And when you get a sense of purpose, you'll be able to endure. And just on a quick separate note, and I, I know this sounds like rocket science, but I really want some of you to hear this tonight. Maybe there's someone here specifically that needs to hear this. You can't endure quickly. You can't be patient quickly. You can't endure quickly. And I know what you're facing. You want it to be over because it's too much. God's with you. Endure. There is something in the process of endurance that God is using in your life. Carries on. And that endurance develops a strength of character. Why do we endure? For a strength of character. The strength of character is a character that is tested and proven to be true. It's tested and it can be trusted. A proven character is a character that goes on a journey through something and comes out the other side intact and together. This is what it means to have a proven character. And when our faith, when your faith goes through trials, when it goes through difficulties and it comes out the other side, it's more authentic, it's more real, and it's more trusted. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This proven and tested character, it strengthens our confidence in what? Our salvation and the fact that Jesus has lived, died, and he rose again. And because of that, we can trust in him for, with our lives and for our lives. What, what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to point all of us towards the reality that our character is founded on Christ. Before you faced anything, before you go through anything, before you were the survivor, you were a son. Before you were a survivor of what you've gone through, you were a daughter. You're someone who God loves. You're someone who God has a purpose over. You're someone who is, is chosen by our God. That's who you are. That's your character. That's what you go in with. Maybe you've gone through something. You need to be reminded, you went in with that. That was your character. It was founded on Christ. And when, when something is strengthened, all, that, all that's happening, all that God is doing through the process of trial and challenge is he's strengthening something. And to strengthen something is to add to what's always been there. That's what it means to strengthen. If I went to the gym, I would know that. I've kind of got muscles, and if I were to strengthen them, I'm holding on to hope. I want to be like Tom one day. Really, I do. When we go through trials and challenges and we know who we are, because our, our character is founded in Christ, what happens is that God builds on that. If, if we choose to see the, the things that you're facing, if you choose to see the challenges that you're going to face, not as moments where God is abandoning you, but where God is right there, strengthening you in it and through it. When you make that decision to know God, whatever I'm facing now, I know you're with me. I know you're here. I know you can strengthen me. I know that you're with me, God. When you do that, it always leads to hope. 
And this hope will not lead to disappointment because we know that our faith and our hope has always been in something. It's always been in this beautiful thing, how dearly God has loved us. And because he's given us the Holy Spirit, he fills our hearts with this love. What it means to to have our hearts filled with this love, it it, it means kind of two things. On one hand, it means absolutely that God is is reminding you of how much he loves you, how, how, how absolutely God loves you. In fact, Paul in chapter 8, a few few chapters later, he reminds us that there is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, no height, no depth, no challenge, no trial. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, nothing. He's trying to remind us of that. Yes, we can be reminded to have our hearts filled with this love, but he's also trying to encourage us to see that, that, that we can make an intentional decision to love God in return. As we're going through a challenge, as we're going through a trial, we can have our hearts filled with a love for God by the Holy Spirit. Not just being, having a sense of how much God loves us, although that is true, there is a sovereign love that God has for you. But also the Holy Spirit enables you to love God in return. Why? Because he's worthy of your love. There is this balance between the sovereign love that God has for us, but also the love that, that God is able to grow in us and through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit which allows us, that love, that love for God, allows us to grow in our suffering. That love for God and God's love for us allows us to endure, and endure that le- an endurance that leads us to, d- to a refined character, a developed character, which always leads us back to hope. We've got to know this evening that the Holy Spirit is not just given to comfort us, although it is. And I pray that you would know the deep and rich comfort of the Holy Spirit tonight. But the Holy Spirit is also given to grow us. Not just given to comfort, but also to conform, to transform, to change our lives and our likelihood into Jesus. Would you know that tonight? I'm going to invite Kendrick to come up as we head towards the end of the service. Thanks, Kendrick Lamar. Appreciate you, bro. Uh, Just as he gets ready, I just want to quickly say this, that one of the most powerful antidotes to pain and heartache and a sense of being just overwhelmed by what you're facing One of the most powerful antidotes to suffering is thanksgiving. One of the most powerful antidotes to grief is generosity. And and, uh, at Grace, we've done something for a number of years called Thanksgiving Buckets. And and it's where we go out, we buy the bucket, we fill the bucket, we return the buckets. And what it is, it's an opportunity to be thankful. God, I'm so grateful that I can buy this bucket. God, I'm so grateful that I can fill this bucket. God, I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of bringing hope to someone in our world. And I can think of no better time in our world to to practice Thanksgiving. So go buy a bucket. That's like my sixth shameless plug tonight. Go buy a bucket. Practice generosity. Practice Thanksgiving. Watch what it does on your heart. And bring it back next week. But I just want to say this to you tonight as we close off. That if you're going to go on this process, if you're going to reflect on and hopefully prepare with these thoughts in mind of, of... having an intentional decision to rejoice in the midst of your pain, of enduring towards a tested and trusted faith and character that leads you back to hope. If we're gonna live out the process of verses three to five, we have to do it on the foundations of verses one and two. We cannot make a decision to rejoice in our suffering if our foundation is weak. But in verses one and two, Paul speaks about the foundation of our lives. And I pray that tonight, maybe you just need to be reminded of these words. Maybe you need to hear them for the first time. This is the foundation of our faith. Our faith in Jesus, reading from the Passion Translation, our faith in Jesus transfers 
God's righteousness to us. Not because of something you've done, not because of anything you've insured, simply because of what Jesus has done, God's righteousness, His goodness, His perfection has been, has been transferred onto you, onto us. And He now declares you, He now declares us flawless in His eyes. You're flawless in His eyes. This means that we can now enjoy true and lasting peace. Don't you want that? I want that. I want that in my life. All because, all because of what Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. It's not our effort. It's not our effort. Our faith in what Jesus has done for us, that he's transferred because of his life, death, and resurrection. He's transferred his righteousness onto us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access. Permanent access into the marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. Isn't that beautiful? That's where you sit tonight, in the marvelous kindness that's given you access to a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy burst forth within us in the midst of what you're facing because of that. And so we can keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Maybe you just need to be reminded of our faith. This is what we hope on. This is what we hope in. This is, this is it. You're flawless, not because of your effort, because of His. You're healed, not because of your work, but because of His stripes. He provides for you, not because you're good enough, but because He is. That's transferred to you, not because of what Jesus has done. And after the service, there's going to be a team of people up front to pray for you. And maybe you just need to be reminded of that truth, that you're flawless, that you're loved, that you're forgiven. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, man, I, I want to receive that, that righteousness. I want to see that good standing. I want to receive that, that marvelous kindness in a relationship with God. Maybe that's you tonight. Afterwards, we'd love to pray for you. But our ability to rejoice in our trials comes directly out of what Jesus has done. And then the beauty of the gospel is this, that we too can rejoice. So I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close off. And I wanna, as you're standing, I wanna pray these words over you. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what 2020 has meant for you. I don't know if COVID's the biggest giant in your life. But what I know is that we can rejoice too because of what Jesus has done. And so if you're just needing a bit of encouragement tonight, if you're just needing a bit of a sense like God's with me in this, I, I can get through this and, and, and I can pray these words over you. Maybe you would just open up your hands and say, say God, here I am, Holy Spirit. Help me to love you. Holy Spirit, help me to trust you. We know that, that because of his marvelous kindness, we can have a relationship with him. That's the foundation. But that's not all. I want you to hear that tonight. That's not all. Even in times of trouble, what are your troubles? What are they? Even in those times, you can have a joyful confidence. I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would give you a joyful confidence knowing that that pressures, whatever that pressure is for you, that pressure will develop in you a patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine. It's not easy and, it's, and it takes effort, but it will refine in you a beautiful character. And a proven character will lead you back to hope. And I want you to, to hear these words tonight. And hope, this hope, is not a disappointing fantasy. It's not. 
because we can now experience, and right now I pray that you would, right now, I pray that you would experience this. I pray that you would experience the endless love of God. Right now, God, do that work in our hearts. I pray that we would experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts right now through the power of your Holy Spirit which lives in us. Jesus, I am so grateful that because of what you've done, we can rejoice too. Help us to do that, God. Help us to choose to rejoice in the midst of what we're going through. Why? Because of what you've done. Because of who you are. Help us to endure, God. Help us to find people around us. Help us to find purpose. God, help us to grow in our love for you in the midst of what we're going through. And thank you, thank you, God, that we can experience your unending, cascading, never-ending, overflowing love. And I pray that we would experience that tonight. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.